Section 13 Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 10 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 10 Running the Gauntlet by James Fenimore Cooper From The Last of the Mohicans There yet lingered sufficient light in the heavens to exhibit those bright openings among the treetops where different paths left the clearing to enter the depths of the wilderness. Beneath one of them a line of warriors issued from the woods and advanced slowly toward the dwellings. One in front bore a short pole on which, as it afterward appeared, were suspended several human scalps. The startling sounds that Duncan had heard were what the whites have not inappropriately called the death hallow, and each repetition of the cry was intended to announce to the tribe the fate of an enemy. Thus far the knowledge of Hayward assisted him in the explanation, and as he knew that the interruption was caused by the unlooked-for return of a successful war party, every disagreeable sensation was quieted in inward congratulations for the opportune relief and insignificance it conferred on himself. When, at the distance of a few hundred feet from the lodges, the newly arrived warriors halted, the plaintive and terrific cry which was intended to represent equally the wailings of the dead and the triumph of the victors, had entirely ceased. One of their number now called aloud, in words that were far from appalling, though not more intelligible to those for whose ears they were intended than their expressive yells. It would be difficult to convey a suitable idea of the savage ecstasy with which the news thus imparted was received. The whole encampment, in a moment, became a scene of the most violent bustle and commotion. The warriors drew their knives, and flourishing them, they arranged themselves in two lines, forming a lane that extended from the war-party to the lodges. The squaws seized clubs, axes, or whatever weapon of offense first offered itself to their hands, and rushed eagerly to act their part in the cruel game that was at hand. Even the children would not be excluded, but boys, little able to wield the instruments, tore the tomahawks from the belts of their fathers and stole into the ranks apt imitators of the savage traits exhibited by their parents. Large piles of brush lay scattered about the clearing, and a wary and aged squaw was occupied firing as many as might serve to light the coming exhibition. As the flame arose, its power exceeded that of the parting day, and assisted to render objects at the same time more distinct and more hideous. The whole scene formed a striking picture, whose frame was composed of the dark and tall border of pines. The warriors just arrived were the most distant figures. 
A little in advance stood two men, who were apparently selected from the rest as the principal actors in what was to follow. The light was not strong enough to render their features distinct, though it was quite evident that they were governed by very different emotions. While one stood erect and firm, prepared to meet his fate like a hero, the other bowed his head, as if palsied by terror or stricken with shame. The high-spirited Duncan felt a powerful impulse of admiration and pity toward the former, though no opportunity could offer to exhibit his generous emotions. He watched his slightest movement, however, with eager eyes, and, as he traced the fine outline of his admirably proportioned and active frame, he endeavoured to persuade himself that if the powers of man, seconded by such noble resolution, could bear one harmless through so severe a trial, the youthful captive before him might hope for success in the hazardous race he was about to run. Insensibly, the young man drew nigher to the swarthy lines of the Hurons, and scarcely breathed. So intense became his interest in the spectacle. Just then the signal yell was given, and the momentary quiet which had preceded it was broken by a burst of cries that far exceeded any before heard. The most abject of the two victims continued motionless, but the other bounded from the place at the cry with the activity and swiftness of a deer instead of rushing through the hostile lines as had been expected he just entered the dangerous defile and before time was given for a single blow turned short and leaping the heads of a row of children he gained at once the exterior and safer side of the formidable array the artifice was answered by a hundred voices raised in imprecations, and the whole of the excited multitude broke from their order, and spread themselves about the place in wild confusion. A dozen blazing piles now shed their lurid brightness on the place, which resembled some unhallowed and supernatural arena, in which malicious demons had assembled to act their bloody and lawless rites. The forms in the background looked like unearthly beings gliding before the eye and cleaving the air with frantic and unmeaning gestures, while the savage passions of such as passed the flames were rendered fearfully distinct by the gleams that shot athwart their inflamed visages. It will easily be understood that amid such a concourse of vindictive enemies no breathing time was allowed the fugitive. There was a single moment when it seemed as if he would have reached the forest, but the whole body of his captors threw themselves before him and drove him back into the centre of his relentless persecutors. Turning like a headed deer, he shot with the swiftness of an arrow through a pillar of forked flame, and passing the whole multitude harmless, he appeared on the opposite side of the clearing. Here, too, he was met and turned by a few of the older and more subtle of the Hurons. Once more he tried the throng, as if seeking safety in its blindness, and then several moments succeeded, during which Duncan believed the active and courageous young stranger was lost. 
nothing could be distinguished but a dark mass of human forms tossed and involved in inexplicable confusion arms gleaming knives and formidable clubs appeared above them but the blows were evidently given at random the awful effect was heightened by the piercing shrieks of the women and the fierce yells of the warriors now and then duncan caught a glimpse of a light form cleaving the air in some desperate bound and he rather hoped than believed that the captive yet retained the command of his astonishing powers of activity suddenly the multitude rolled backward and approached the spot where he himself stood the heavy body in the rear pressed upon the women and children in front and bore them to the earth the stranger reappeared in the confusion human power could not however much longer endure so severe a trial of this the captive seemed conscious profiting by the momentary opening he darted from among the warriors and made a desperate and what seemed to duncan a final effort to gain the wood as if aware that no danger was to be apprehended from the young soldier the fugitive nearly brushed his person in his flight a tall and powerful huron who had husbanded his forces pressed close upon his heels and with an uplifted arm menaced a fatal blow duncan thrust forth a foot and the shock precipitated the eager savage headlong many feet in advance of his intended victim thought itself is not quicker than was the motion with which the latter profited by the advantage he turned gleamed like a meteor again before the eyes of duncan and at the next moment when the latter recovered his recollection and gazed around in quest of the captive he saw him quietly leaning against a small painted post which stood before the door of the principal lodge apprehensive that the part he had taken in the escape might prove fatal to himself duncan left the place without delay he followed the crowd which drew nigh the lodges gloomy and sullen like any other multitude that had been disappointed in an execution curiosity or perhaps a better feeling induced him to approach the stranger he found him standing with one arm cast about the protecting post and breathing thick and hard after his exertions but disdaining to permit a single sign of suffering to escape his person was now protected by immemorial and sacred usage until the tribe in council had deliberated and determined on his fate it was not difficult however to foretell the result if any presage could be drawn from the feelings of those who crowded the place there was no term of abuse known to the huron vocabulary that the disappointed women did not lavishly expend on the successful stranger they flouted at his efforts and told him with bitter scoffs that his feet were better than his hands and that he merited wings while he knew not the use of an arrow or a knife to all this the captive made no reply but was content to preserve an attitude in which dignity was singularly blended with disdain 
exasperated as much by his composure as by his good fortune their words became unintelligible and were succeeded by shrill piercing yells just then the crafty squaw who had taken the necessary precautions to fire the piles made her way through the throng and cleared a place for herself in front of the captive the squalid and withered person of this hag might well have obtained for her the character of possessing more than human cunning throwing back her light vestment she stretched forth her long skinny arm in derision and using the language of the lenape as more intelligible to the subject of her jibes she commenced aloud look you delaware she said snapping her fingers in his face your nation is a race of women and the hoe is better fitted to your hands than the gun your squaws are the mothers of deer but if a bear or a wild cat or a serpent were born among you ye would flee the huron girls shall make ye petticoats and we will find you a husband a burst of savage laughter succeeded this attack during which the soft and musical merriment of the younger females strangely chimed with the cracked voice of their older and more malignant companion but the stranger was superior to all their efforts his head was immovable nor did he betray the slightest consciousness that any were present except when his haughty eye rolled toward the dusky forms of the warriors who stalked in the background silent and sullen observers of the scene infuriated at the self-command of the captive the woman placed her arms akimbo and throwing herself into a posture of defiance she broke out anew in a torrent of words that no art of ours could commit successfully to paper her breath was however expended in vain for although distinguished in her nation as a proficient in the art of abuse she was permitted to work herself into such a fury as actually to foam at the mouth without causing a muscle to vibrate in the motionless figure of the stranger the effect of his indifference began to extend itself to the other spectators and a youngster who was just quitting the condition of a boy to enter the state of manhood attempted to assist the termagant by flourishing his tomahawk before their victim and adding his empty boasts to the taunts of the woman then indeed the captive turned his face toward the light and looking down on the stripling with an expression that was superior to contempt at the next moment he resumed his quiet and reclining attitude against the post but the change of posture had permitted duncan to exchange glances with the firm and piercing eyes of uncas Breathless with amazement, and heavily oppressed with the critical situation of his friend, Hayward recoiled before the look, trembling lest its meaning might in some unknown manner hasten the prisoner's fate. There was not, however, any instant cause for such an apprehension. Just then a warrior forced his way into the exasperated crowd. Motioning the women and children aside with a stern gesture, he took uncas by the arm and led him toward the door of the council lodge thither 
all the chiefs and most of the distinguished warriors followed among whom the anxious hayward found means to enter without attracting any dangerous attention to himself a few minutes were consumed in disposing of those present in a manner suitable to their rank and influence in the tribe an order very similar to that adopted in the preceding interview was observed the aged and superior chiefs occupying the area of the spacious apartment within the powerful light of a glaring torch while their juniors and inferiors were arranged in the background presenting a dark outline of swarthy and marked visages in the very centre of the lodge immediately under an opening that admitted the twinkling light of one or two stars stood uncas calm elevated and collected his high and haughty carriage was not lost on his captors who often bent their looks on his person with eyes which while they lost none of their inflexibility of purpose plainly betrayed their admiration of the stranger's daring the case was different with the individual whom duncan had observed to stand forth with his friend previously to the desperate trial of speed and who instead of joining in the chase had remained throughout its turbulent uproar like a cringing statue expressive of shame and disgrace though not a hand had been extended to greet him nor yet an eye had condescended to watch his movements he had also entered the lodge as though impelled by a fate to whose decrees he submitted seemingly without a struggle hayward profited by the first opportunity to gaze in his face secretly apprehensive he might find the features of another acquaintance but they proved to be those of a stranger and what was still more inexplicable of one who bore all the distinctive marks of a huron warrior instead of mingling with his tribe however he sat apart a solitary being in a multitude his form shrinking into a crouching and abject attitude as if anxious to fill as little space as possible when each individual had taken his proper station and silence reigned in the place the grey-haired chief already introduced to the reader spoke aloud in the language of the leni lenape delaware he said though one of a nation of women you have proved yourself a man I would give you food, but he who eats with a Huron should become his friend. Rest in peace till the morning sun, when our last words shall be spoken. Seven nights, and as many summer days, have I fasted on the trail of the Hurons, Uncas coldly replied. The children of the Lenape know how to travel the path of the just without lingering to eat. Two of my young men are in pursuit of your companion,' resumed the other, without appearing to regard the boast of his captive. "'When they get back, then will our wise men say to you, Live or die.' "'Has a Huron no ears?' scornfully exclaimed Uncas. "'Twice since he has been your prisoner has the Delaware heard a gun that he knows. Your young men will never come back.' a short and sullen pause succeeded this bold assertion 
Duncan, who understood the Mohican, to allude to the fatal rifle of the scout, bent forward in earnest observation of the effect it might produce on the conquerors. But the chief was content with simply retorting, "'If the Lenape are so skillful, why is one of their bravest warriors here?' He followed in the steps of a flying coward and fell into a snare. The cunning beaver may be caught. As Uncas thus replied, he pointed with his finger toward the solitary Huron, but without deigning to bestow any other notice on so unworthy an object. The words of the answer and the air of the speaker produced a strong sensation among his auditors, Every eye rolled sullenly toward the individual indicated by this simple gesture, and a low threatening murmur passed through the crowd. The ominous sounds reached the outer door, and the women and children, pressing into the throng, no gap had been left between shoulder and shoulder that was not now filled with the dark lineaments of some eager and curious human countenance. In the meantime, the more aged chiefs in the center communed with each other in short and broken sentences. Not a word was uttered that did not convey the meaning of the speaker, in the simplest and most energetic form. Again, a long and deeply solemn pause took place. It was known by all present to be the grave precursor of a weighty and important judgment. They who composed the outer circle of faces were on tiptoe to gaze, and even the culprit for an instant forgot his shame in a deeper emotion, and exposed his abject features in order to cast an anxious and troubled glance at the dark assemblage of chiefs. The silence was finally broken by the aged warrior so often named. He arose from the earth, and moving past the immovable form of Uncas, placed himself in a dignified attitude before the offender. At that moment, the withered squaw already mentioned moved into the circle in a slow, sidling sort of a dance, holding the torch and muttering the indistinct words of what might have been a species of incantation. Though her presence was altogether an intrusion, it was unheeded. Approaching Uncas, she held the blazing brand in such a manner as to cast its red glare on his person, and to expose the slightest emotion of his countenance. The Mohican maintained his firm and haughty attitude, and his eye, so far from deigning to meet her inquisitive look, dwelt steadily on the distance as though it penetrated the obstacles which impeded the view, and looked into futurity. Satisfied with her examination, she left him, with a slight expression of pleasure, and proceeded to practice the same trying experiment on her delinquent countrymen. The young Huron was in his war-paint, and very little of a finely moulded form was concealed by his attire. The light rendered every limb and joint discernible and duncan turned away in horror when he saw they were writhing in inexpressible agony the woman was commencing a low and plaintive howl at the sad and shameful spectacle when the chief put forth his hand and gently pushed her aside read that bends he said 
addressing the young culprit by name, and in his proper language, though the great spirit has made you pleasant to the eyes, it would have been better that you had not been born. Your tongue is loud in the village, but in battle it is still. None of my young men strike the tomahawk deeper into the war-post, none of them so lightly on the Yengeese. The enemy know the shape of your back, but they have never seen the color of your eyes. Three times have they called on you to come, and as often did you forget to answer. Your name will never be mentioned again in your tribe. It is already forgotten. As the chief slowly uttered these words, pausing impressively between each sentence, the culprit raised his face in deference to the other's rank and years. Shame, horror, and pride struggled in its lineaments. His eye, which was contracted with inward anguish, gleamed on the persons of those whose breath was his fame, and the latter emotion for an instant predominated. He arose to his feet, and, baring his bosom, looked steadily on the keen, glittering knife that was already upheld by his inexorable judge, as the weapon passed slowly into his heart, he even smiled, as if in joy at having found death less dreadful than he anticipated, and fell heavily on his face at the feet of the rigid and unyielding form of Uncas. The squaw gave a loud and plaintive yell, dashed the torch to the earth, and buried everything in darkness. The whole shuddering group of spectators glided from the lodge like troubled spirits, and Duncan thought that he and the yet throbbing body of the victim of an Indian judgment had now become its only tenants. End of section 13